Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to The Underneath. Um, my name is Kale Zelton, and I'm here with uh, an old friend and uh, a, a um, pastor uh, out in Sacramento named Paul Vanderclay. And uh, Paul, it's great to see you, of course. Um, you know, I've been on your show a couple of times, and um, I'm, I'm making you return the favor uh, <laughs> by having you on my show. Um, what this show is really about, or what I'm trying to figure out what the show is really about is this um this idea that um you know going into the underneath um is kind of a play a little bit of a play on words but the idea that there's something subterranean uh conceptually that is sort of below everything which kind of gives animation and form to all of that which we see around us right and so there's the old notion of um you know uh, in in sort of ex explicitly theological and sacramental terms, we talk about um, thing uh, uh, an outward sign of an inner reality would be a kind of classic definition of a sacrament. And so I want to sort of take that idea um, as uh, sort of a, a jumping off point to talk about story and um, this idea that stories, um, you know, one of the things that I've heard you and other people in the corner talk about is stories are a kind of um, compression engine uh, or compression machine. And I wanted to talk about it in that term, uh, in that sense, but also story as a kind of social technology. Um, and, and so um, uh, lastly, and then I'll kind of get you to jump in here on story, uh, this, this idea that Stories are um, compression engines, um, they're machines, but they're, they're ultimately their experience machines. And I think about this, of course, when I, when I teach story. Um, and, and I would imagine that you think about this quite a bit as you preach story, right? Because preaching and teaching, I mean, really, what's the difference um, in, in many real ways? And so I wonder how you conceive of that, both in your capacities as a pastor, but also in your work here in this liminal space, in this digital space, that the way that stories operate. Well, well you're right in that for pastors, we are always in many ways the so one way to understand human beings after we get past the age of 3 or 4 where at some point in our even in our toddlerhood we awaken and we don't do it consciously we don't sit there as toddlers and say okay i have different ways of processing this reality that i'm experiencing mm -hmm. toddler can't conceptualize that a toddler a toddler nearly universally, it seems, instinctively, it seems, begins to appropriate this technology of story mm -hmm. as a way to organize and live this life that we do. I remember talking early on about story as sort of the operating system for human beings. And, mm -hmm. and John Verveke sort of paused me and said, now you really should understand that we don't really start doing this until we're like three or four. And a way to think about this is to think about when, think about the earliest memory you can sort of bring up. And of course, we also know now the ACOG sigh that there are, yeah. you know, episodic memories and they're sort of yeah. picture memories as a I, I have a memory as I must have been a toddler 
because I know the room in the house that I grew up with, just where that windowsill was, just kind of looking out. And there's a few other very fuzzy, episodic memories that I have that are very early on. My father, almost um, like almost like moving images. He's, right. You know, like when you do the like on on the on the phone, you can sort of do a a, a type of image. You know, you you press a click and it does a like five whatever a, yeah. a two and a yeah. half second burst, right? Yeah. And yeah, so I have a lot of those. Yep. You know, so yeah. so it's so it's kind of we at at a certain point we start to organize our lives, our experiences, our relationships around these stories that we are implicitly forming. And so, obviously, mm-hmm. story is a way to organize not only organize a lot of material, which is why I often call it a compression engine, mm-hmm. but also a way to organize disparate types of experience and modes that we live in because when you think about what stories organize stories both manage things out in the world and they manage processes and relationships yeah right because in that last part they seem to really manage or mediate um us yes. you know uh, uh inter uh intersocially or, or something like that you know that that we um that that the the harmony seems to be a story shared you know disharmony seems to be a story disagreed upon or yeah something at this kind of fundamental level right and and you know even when so as a pastor what you often do with a congregation obviously in a protestant church we have these sermons from the bible <laughs> often pastors even though so much of the biblical corpus is poetry, mm-hmm. Protestants tend to focus on the narrative because the great What, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? When in terms of, especially if Protestants are not sort of sticking to the lectionary. Okay. You know, when you go through the Bible, even as someone say, they, they decide, wow, the Bible's an important book. I'm going to read it. They start reading it in Genesis. And Genesis is this narrative, which is like, wow, one of the greatest books yeah. you know, in the world, Genesis. And then they get into Exodus, and it's continuing. Oh, wow, great sequel. Great. Yeah. And then, of course, they get to chapter, they get past chapter 20 into chapter 21, and suddenly they're into law. Yeah. And then they're into the alien technology of the tabernacle. And mm-hmm. and then suddenly, so like, so so that's interesting to me, right? You know, so that you've got this sort of this narrative genesis, then you move into uh, legal questions, which I think are like uh, abstractions, uh, ultimately from that kind of the origin narrative, and then and then you have the the building out of this this space, right? So that like that is a an interesting almost triptych. Uh, maybe that's a sort of a a, a picture of a development. Of, of, of humanness unto itself, right? So, you know, there's the sort of, you know, where are you coming from? You know, what does it all mean? And then how do we worship? It's this this sort of this cycle of progression yeah. there. And, and as a preacher, you, so then you have almost the same thing in the New Testament, that you open the New Testament and you have Matthew and Mark and Luke. And it's like, I mean, of course, the synoptics are just, you know, Story after story after story, all yeah. mixed together. And then, and then John, and then, and then some of these long discourses, and Acts again, more story, mm-hmm. and then you get into these epistles, mm-hmm. and suddenly mm-hmm. people are like, "I'm only reading one half of the conversation." And historically, we don't 
And, and so then what, what I tend to often do when I'm trying to help people, you know, engage with the epistles would be, I try to form a narrative around it. And lately I've been doing that with Advent and some of the prophets on mm -hmm. the way to obviously um, Christ's birth. So, so, that's what I found so helpful. Just real quick, that's what I found so helpful with N.T. Wright's Paula biography is it really yes. does. It ultimately nests it in, you know, as best as one can, and he's among the best, of course, nests it within this sort of this real epic story of how these things sort of unfold and, and come to be. It's a, it really, uh, for me, um, as a kind of poetry first, philosophy second kind of mind, it was extremely helpful for me uh, to sort of enter back into uh, what Paul's laying out. Right. And and as a culture, I mean, we have, for, for all of the new age, I mean, remember Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris, and Sam Harris keeps wanting to sort of dismiss story. Mm -hmm. It's like, but as a culture, mm -hmm. I mean, with streaming TV, we mm -hmm. have just proliferated yeah. stories. I mean, yeah. you, you mean, we have so much story out there that you can sit down and books and movies and TV shows, just narrative all over the place. And, and I think, yet, and yet, yet <laughs> we're, we're all talking about, like, we're also sort of in the midst of this story crisis. Yes. yes. Right. You know, so there's a sort of an, almost an inverse proportion, like the more we just get plastered with, you know, wall-to-wall -wall story, you start to realize, wait, there's only a few really good stories, actually. You know, yes. so therefore, and that's kind of what I want. To, like, so, you know, we, you know, I hear, you know, you talk about story, and, and you know, Jordan Peterson has been talking a lot about now. That's what Arc has been uh, in theory about, right? A better story, isn't that the sort of the subtag or subtitle of the whole conference? And, and yet, you know, so you know, we talk about story as this sort of this phenomena that is. Yet, I don't know how much we kind of get into the the the, the nitty gritty of stories, right. you know, themselves. Well, and and so then, so on stage as a pastor, as a performer, as uh -huh. a yeah. preacher, I deal a lot with story and storytelling. And every pastor will tell you, people forget your doctrinal points; they forget yeah. the the structure yeah. of your <laughs> argument. All of that stuff just whoosh, whoosh, yeah. Whoosh. Yeah. it's the story they remember. Mm -hmm. It's Mabel, you know, this story that I tell of a woman in a nursing yeah. home. And everybody remember, I used it with Peter Bogosian the other day. Um, yeah. I mean, because it's just like, bang, it grabs us. It's yeah. it, it pulls all this stuff together. And pastorally, you know, when I started these Randall's conversations on the channel, what essentially I did with people was I, within the conversation, what I helped them do is I sort of help um, I help them begin to curate their story. Right, right. Because and you yeah. always start there. Yes. You always start there. Yeah. Right. Because any pop psychologist will tell you, um, I mean, this is a powerful way for sort of tra human transformation. If you change right. your story about yourself in a lot of ways, you have a pretty dramatic transformation. And, and what we often do with respect to difficulties in our lives, challenges in our lives, if we sort of reframe a story, then suddenly we have new power and new capacities. And, and we have this, this is, this is what's behind Christian conversion because right. Christian conversion is fundamentally entering into a different story. And, and so, and so that is, 
so powerful and so <laughs> it, ahead, it, it's it's ubiquitous i mean we're not going to get away from it we're not going to get around it even though people right and left i mean for a while john verveke was sort of dismissing stories and some of the new atheists were it's it's sort of like dismissing air I don't care how hold you can, how long you can hold your breath. You are going to breathe again, and mm -hmm. that is the mm -hmm. way we are with stories. So, coming now, as you mentioned, to a story crisis is fascinating because it's telling, it, it, it's telling about the fact that there is there are complexities that stories mask. Right, right, right. <laughs> that's that's right. You know, and, and I and I wonder, you know, if the, you know, there, there's a real um, moral uh, component to storytelling, and I don't mean like telling a nice story or like you know a kind story. I don't mean it that way. But there's a, you know, that stories have, you know, um, needs, uh, you know, that that and that there seems to be an attempt so a good storyteller seems to be able to submit themselves to some underlying reality whatever you want to call that right but they submit themselves to it and they they are told it right and and so you have the conceit of uh, of the muse right you have the conceit of uh, whatever you know version of that muse is as the story came to me in hall you know is the way that um sir gowan and the green knight opens up you know it's it's this um almost like the, the the excellence of the poet seems to be not in their ability to sort of flex and you know dominate but rather to 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 uh, allow some other thing spirit you know we might say to to animate me you know like i'm some kind of um wind instrument right you know that 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 it comes into me and through me and works through me and so there's a, a weird um a humility that that seems to be involved with with um a poet um and yet those of us you know who are audience members seem to worship the storyteller Yes. I mean, who doesn't love the storyteller in the group? Yes. You know, every group of friends has a good storyteller and, you know, they're the best. Yes. They love that guy. Yes. You know, so like they're like equal parts. Um, well, interesting, you know, and maybe Lewis gets into this a little bit in that hideous strength when he's talking about the intricacies of masculinity. Right. You know, that 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 you know masculinity involves both the ability to sort of like stand up and and be strong but also there's this receptivity to genuine masculinity it's a very curious passage and i know he gets a lot of heat from it from people who are kind of reading it through a sexual politics lens but i think he's on to something about the creative process itself you know that it, it requires both of these things well it gets into this so I, I was, you know, I'm, I'm working on Peterson's conversation with with Chris Williamson, and yeah, Peterson yeah, has yeah. a nice section in that conversation where he's sort of talking about, you know, instantiation versus something like platonic forms. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's a fascinating thing when it comes to a, a good storyteller. We we sort of imagine maybe they wield this gift. But then when we watch them long enough, we begin to realize that something else seems to be wielding them. Yes. Yeah. 
th that that's right, and that that's the part that I, I you know, I, I think it, it merits a, a deeper, um, you know, because there's a power in the ability to wield, but there's also like a, 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 a you know, you you think about. Was it was it was it John Verveke at the conference in China who was talking about like the grip or something? The optimal grip. He's optimal grip. About. What was he talking about with that? If you could do it, because I think there's a connection to this wield thing. Well, he talks about he talks about the fact that this is this is this is this is something that we we work on constantly. Yeah. And, you know, we we do this even before. In our toddlerhood, toddlerhood, we begin to wield stories to a degree. Our stories begin to wield us. Right. But even before that, we begin to try to get to this, you know, gripping. Um, yeah. And and you know, it does sort of well up from the body, and mm -hmm. that we scaffold up. Um, you know, I was taught, I spent a lot of time with Rafe Kelly at the yeah. art conference, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know, he pays a lot of attention to embodiment. But it's, you know, you think of someone like J.K. Rowling, who seemingly out of nowhere writes this huge thing, yeah. which, you know, even I, I, I haven't myself read Harry Potter, but I know many people who have. And some yeah, people tell I, me I, I've, I've read it an embarrassingly amount, an embarrassing amount of time. So well, some, some people, well, what are, well, let me ask you, what are your yeah. thoughts of the quality of the prose? Because I hear from many people that the story is great, but the books are a little clunky. Well, I, I, hmm. and now I deal with dogma and orthodoxies. Cause if you say anything against yeah, those I know, books, I it's know. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, I, I tried to read them first. A first I, I made a first attempt, right? I picked up because all the all the other people were like kind of squeeing about it. Like, oh, you got to read so good. It's so good. Fine, 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 fine. So I like I picked it up and like it's a children's book. I'm like, right, well, I, you know, not interested. Long, so long children's books. I mean, these well, are... admittedly, this was just the first one, which is yeah. a reasonably slim volume. Right. And so a couple of years go by and I think it's. I don't know, around the fifth time, and people are complaining because, like, the fifth book is like, massive. It's like 900 pages. It's a big, fat book. And I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting because I had remembered trying to read the first one and being like, man, who could possibly, like, sit through 900 pages of that? Like, it's it's a chill, you know, chill book. So, anyway, I eventually go back and pick it up because I just, I, I had heard from somebody, I was like, well, okay, you should give them a shot. There's a, there's a design there. I'm like, okay. So, anyway, so I pick them up. And I read the first one and like, I liked it. It was fine. I got what, what she was doing. And then the second one is, is absolutely hilarious, right? Because it's, you know, Gilderoy Lockhart and it's this huff puffing. He's just ridiculous. And he's just, I was like, oh, there's a, a level of satire here that it reminded me of the way that like a Bugs Bunny cartoon, you know, uh, is for the kids, but it's really, really for adults, right? That there's this, this this level of appreciation, you know, that I would certainly would have liked it at ten or twelve years old, but man, at at thirty two at the time, I was like, this is this is really quite something. So uh, read through that. Third one was fine to me. I didn't particularly care for it so much the first time, but then by the time I got to the fourth one, and so the fourth one is interesting because, uh, you know. What I realized in retrospect is that she's kind of following almost the sort of the cognitive capacities of her main character. 
you know, so when Harry Potter is a, a first form student, he's like, whatever, 12 years old, right? He's 34. When he comes to be like 14, 15, like the world expands. And of course, this is tracking exactly sort of with the way that you and I experience the world as kids, right? So that when the fourth one rolls around, um, it is when you get a sense that this is not just about this little house in this little, you know, British suburb. It's not just about this interesting, cool castle called Hogwarts, but there's a whole world that opens up. And it happens, of course, brilliant, I think, is that the pretext of it is that they're going to the Quidditch World Cup. Right. And so it, it, it opens up the world and you realize, wait a second, there's all kinds of levels here. You know, you're kind of whispering about it here or there, but it was still a really small world. And boom, this thing opens up. And I think mm. the prose then kind of follows along with that trajectory. And this is, I don't think, the kind of thing that necessarily tracks with the movies. You know, the movies are fine. I really like them. But what I really love about the books is that it kind of follows that. And so I would argue that there is intentionality and design in that prose style. So by the time you get into four, five, and six, and say, you know, they're quite sophisticated. Again, as uh, you and 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 Harry's uh, precocious um, sophistication, um, you know, uh, really um, builds out massively when the stakes. You know, when it no longer becomes about winning a Quidditch game, it no longer becomes about, you know, can I get a girlfriend? It all of a sudden becomes about this much, much bigger thing, you know, that not only is he is, has he been involved in as a child, but also then he is like he's like at the very you know the, the crux, you know, of the whole thing as he hunts for these horcruxes. Right. And so it's um, it becomes, I think, much more sophisticated as the series progresses. So mm -hmm. I would disagree with that particular type of shade, you know, against rolling. I think that there's a design there. To me, her genius is design. Hmm. Interesting. You know, I, I, I do. And, 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 you know, I think that a lot of people have this sort of romantic notion of, because um, this is going to somewhat contradict what I was going to say earlier, but let me see if I can square this circle. You know, the people tend to have a privilege engineering um over poetry right um you know that 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 you know people like the idea of a plan and a plot and all these sorts of things right but um but then you have this other aspect of poetry which is almost a code sort of in the model of divination right or invocation like i'm kind of a medium through which this thing channels and spits out and all that kind of stuff and and that has been the kind of the, the, the dominant image of the kind of the mad crazed poet since the british romantics Right, this idea that you know you are uh, well invoking a spirit. Right, they, they they even explicitly sort of talk about this. Um, but 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 I think it's my it, there's some sort of strange marriage. You know, you talked about lately again. You've been talking about the spirit of geometry and the spirit of finesse, and I think that there's something going on there. And so, a a great a, you know a good poet might be a good plotter. A good poet might be a kind of like a wild channeling of the spirit. But a great poet is someone who can kind of create this uh, uh, spirit-filled tension, right? That that animates um, beyond its its borders or something like that. Well, that's interesting because, let's say, a great basketball player. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, a great basketball player can can generate his own shot yeah. a great basketball player can lead the entire team a great basketball player does this consistently yeah yeah i mean somebody can get out on the court and you know throw in one from half court and yeah. it's ever 
but a well, great well, person. Well, it's, it's improvising, right? I mean, it's finding the sort of this, the, the, it's finding flow within structure, you yes. know? Yes. Um, yes. And, 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 you know, the, it's the, it's the great myth of the jazz musician, right? Who kind of gets up there and just sort of like in this sort of wild craze, like, and it's like, yeah, fine. But what you don't see is, has been the years and years and years of dedication to exactly. scales. I mean, is there anything less sexy than a scale, right? You know, so, but, the jazz musician has has put himself in this position of mastery um, uh, so that he can kind of channel the spirit, you know. Yes, yes. Um, so I think that a good storyteller. So I wanted to ask you this question as a preacher, because I have questions uh, in regard to my teaching, right? Um, you know, I would never show up to a class without a plan. And, and sometimes like, boy, I need that plan because it's like dying up here, you know, <laughs> it's like anybody out there, anybody, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and then there are some days in which I've got, and, and, and then, you know, you execute it reasonably well. And, you know, you're being a professional. Sometimes I feel like the, the, the real days in which I'm a professional teacher when I'm just sort of keeping it together, right. Yeah. That day. But man, there are some days you, know, you walk in there and I read a passage out loud and all of a sudden this entire script just is like, well, that's wrong. Cause my mind is just, I mean, I am catching a wave. Like I am on this thing. And the only reason I ever stop is because the bell goes off. Yeah. Right. And it's not just me blabbing them. It's me interacting and yeah. talking and yeah. analogies are firing and I'm, I've hit, you know, and it, it, is, I would imagine preaching has that quality too. Oh yes. Oh yeah. yes. All the time. Yeah. And, and like you say, I go every Sunday. I mean, I have a rough draft for Sunday. I, you know, I have a plan. I have a plan for Sunday. Now, anybody who actually looks at the rough draft and looks what happens on Sunday will notice the difference also because there's a difference in audience. Sure. This versus. And then there are times, like, for example, in the UK, I, uh, last year, not this last trip, but the trip before I had this event with, uh, Tom Holland and. I, I, you know, Glenn didn't tell me anything of the plan beforehand. And so first I discover now, now first I'm going to have a conversation with this other woman. I know nothing about her. I know nothing about what's on top. She stands up and, and then, you know, she stands up and she gives, she reads a paper like, about oh. something that I don't know a lot yeah, about. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah. how's this going to go? Yeah. And then we have this little break in between. And then Glenn basically comes to me and says, now for the Holland thing, you're going to talk and then we're going to talk to Tom. And it's like, I have zero Nothing. plan. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to pull this thing out and have it yeah. go. And however well it went, anybody can find the video and you can tell me what you think of it. Yeah. So one of the things that you learn is that over time, with when you get a lot of experience, you have a lot of things that you can you can generate your own shot much more easily because you've That's been right. on the court a long time. And so there's stuff that you have in little turns and phrases. And so boom, 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 boom. But it's always also the case that I think about someone like C.S. Lewis, who, um, you know, has a sort of explodes onto the English scene during the war with these radio addresses. And then those kind of become a book. And then after a period, you know, after that and after the war, there was a sense in which for a lot of people, Lewis was a has-been. You know, he, he had written screw tape letters, he had done the radio addresses, and 
you know, he had done, you know, some of his formal apologetics like miracles. And then, you know, nobody, nobody's thinking about C.S. Lewis anymore. And then he just starts popping out children's books and people yeah. are like, well, what's with this? And, and so even, you know, even people that centuries later, we consider the greats yeah. had, um, moments at, at periods in their life where everything just seems to sort of, they can just sort of spin gold out of straw <laughs> and other periods in their life yeah. that they can't do a darn thing yeah. worth anything. It's an interesting uh, analog to this is um, I was tweeting about this the other day, but I, I grew up, um, I was in high school in a sort of interesting period of time musically. I loved music as a high school kid. And um really the kind of only thing that was available was sort of this sort of interesting moment in kind of Brit pop or it was hair metal bands. And I, and, I, and I wasn't particularly interested in either of those things really. And so what it compelled me to do, and part of this was helped by an older brother, is that I, I did this sort of massive deep dive into classic rock. And so, um, you know, which is which in retrospect turns out to really have been my first um, real research project. And I really threw my my myself deeply into this, and you know, sleuthing at record stores and going through stacks and stacks and trying to find this, that, and the other. And at any rate, one of the things that I I would do is I would find old copies of like Rolling Stone magazine, and you know, I would read them. And you know, you would read things, and you know, like you know, it's like I don't know, it's like 1974, and people are asking the question like, are the Stones done? You know, and 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 so so anyway, my my point is that. Uh, you like when you're in the middle of the thing, you know, it's not written, you know, and yet in, in retrospect, like you're a total fool to say that like Dylan was done in 1968. Like that's absurd. Right. Um, or or that, oh, you know, they had a good first two albums, but they'll probably never do something in. And then there's this sort of five year period of nothing. And then, you know, just it just generates you. You find the genius again. You know, um, and, you know, it's better than the earlier stuff because it's more mature and you've grown and and all those kinds of things. And so, um, it, you know, I feel that way as an older teacher. You know, I was a, a baby teacher once, you know, you were a baby preacher once and you could have, you know, you've got your, you know, I would say, a, you know, a, a, you know, I think of the Crayola boxes, you know, you've got the eight crayons and then you've got the 24 and the 48. Right. And, you know, I was playing with 24 for a while and all of a sudden you realize you've leveled up to the 84 right and you've got like this brick of color that you can now wield and and even now as i as i um move past 50 you know i i i i feel like i've got more going on in my head right now um than than ever and and part of that is maturity and age right of course but part of it's reps but part of it is you know, I teach the same thing. You, you do too. You teach the Bible. And uh, I teach the same basic things each year, right? And so every year during Advent, I teach Macbeth for, you know, for independent from Advent reasons, right? So every, you know, September, I teach Dante. Every uh, beginning of October, I teach Sir Gowan and the Green Knight. Every um, November, I'm teaching the Canterbury Tales, right? And so there's this sort of, there has, come this sort of liturgical quality to um my my teaching and there's a there's a real uh, there's something that kind of comes out of that those repetitions it's not every day but it's every year um but also you know but but my my metaphors have grown substantially you know in this process yeah um and and so 
so I get a lot of questions, you know, all right, Kale, you know, you talk about old books all the time. You know, you talk about wisdom and wisdom's not optional and all this sort of stuff. It's like, I'm, I'm 50 and I didn't get any of that stuff. Like I got nothing. I went to school for, you know, business and I got really good at business and I did the business thing. And now I'm 50, whatever years old. And like, I, I like, I don't have any of that stuff that you're talking about, Kale. And, you know, and there's almost this sort of this sense, like, yeah, like I tried to, like, you know, Kale, you talk about the Odyssey or something, and I picked it up and I didn't know what to do with it. You know, and and I know what do you make of that? Is that a, is that something you you sense when you talk oh, yes. to people? Well, yeah. well, so I did this, I did this, um, yeah, I did this video on this on this other video on the death of cinema. Yeah, that was a great one. Yeah, I saw it. And you know, he made the point that you I mean audiences need formation as well love that oh my gosh yes yes and and he made the point that yes. because yes. of sort of how things rolled out in the early aughts america suddenly in terms of the story world got a steady diet of marvel and then you of course had batman and superman trying to keep up and catch up and of course yeah. we had before that we had harry potter and we had so america lord of the audience, rings and right yeah, 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 American audiences were formed into a certain way. And yeah. part of what, you know, we are doing in church and in school, which church, not so much, but still school, you sort of have a captive audience. These, these kids are, you know, these kids got to go to school. There's, yeah, and, you know, and they have to do my reading, right? They have, yeah, they to, have to, that's yeah, right. Church, yeah. less and less so, but to a degree, there is sort of a stable audience. People are going to show up and they're going to listen and, um, and some of that is going to happen. And so you, you also have sort of the, the the formational lectionary that and, and you very much have this. Because, yeah, as a Catholic. Right. Right. Well, right. And, and but also that, you know, that you are in the you are specifically in the business of forming these young minds to at some point in their life mm -hmm. be able to open up Shakespeare yeah. and you know, and be able to appreciate it. Whereas many in the population, they simply can't because they have not, they, they have not been formed. Their sensibilities mm -hmm. have not been cultivated and led to the point where, and, and Lewis talks about this a lot, obviously, where, mm -hmm. you know, you should, you want to learn Greek to the point where you can sort of effortlessly enjoy <laughs> Greeks, you know, mm -hmm. Greek classics mm -hmm. in their original language. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whereas sort of that Erasmian educational model has receded, yeah. um, we, we still want to do that even with English so that people can have an appreciation because it is not, um, it, it is not innate within us and but yet part of yeah, it, right. Yeah, right. But it, yet it, there, it, there is also the quality where I mean, in some ways, some might argue that what part of the genius, and I really loved how you just sort of laid out Harry Potter, that was really helpful for me, is that she had been doing that formation all through that series of books. So that once they sort of get a sense of, oh, Harry Potter, now maybe they can read Tolkien with a little bit. Yeah, yeah, um, that's right, that's right. And, and then from- well, on and on. Yeah. So you just said something that's interesting. You know, the 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 story of Harry Potter is 
in one sense, the story of, you know, the, the whole story is contained in the line in the first book when when Hagrid, you know, the, the big super sort of half giant creature from from friend from Hogwarts comes to, to, to fetch Harry. Right. And his line to him is like, you're a wizard, Harry. You, right, and, and, and all of a sudden, you know, he goes from this sort of um, uh, basically abused stepchild who lives under the stairs. He's like somebody. Right. And so like what a you, you know, you talk about a kind of epistemological flip or an existential flip. It's like all of a sudden, you know, uh, that which was a total enigma, you know, in other words, life, life was terrible. And, and all of a sudden, um, all of these little things here and there, they click into place like, oh, that's what that is. And then so then it's super interesting. So he goes on his first shopping spree with 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 Hagrid and he finds out not only are you not poor, you have your own money, Harry. Right. And they go and they they figure that part out. And then he goes and gets all the stuff. And um, but but as soon as he walks into this sort of this alternate world, right, this covered world, uh, it becomes uh, uh, unlocked to him. You know, everybody knows who he is. You know that 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 there's this story, and they're like, "Oh, it's that. Oh, there's the kid. You know, you know, and it's all this sort of." And so this in, this experience of his is when when Hagrid said, "You think that the end of the story is, oh, Harry, you're a you're a you're a wizard, but it's the beginning of the story." Right? You know, it, it 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 then begins. Well, what does that mean? Right? You know, for him. Um, and I I think what strikes me about the moment in the story, you know, you, you, you've talked about these kinds of things before, Paul, right? That, that there's a moment, uh, there's a moment in the man, right? But the moment in that story is that um, these sort of questions of identity, you know, that, that, that she very much leveraged were, were, were perfect for the moment. Right, that that it that it that it absolutely you know caught fire, or, you know, lightning struck, right, as the little zigzag on his forehead would suggest, you know, that that there was something, you know, people clearly needed to hear uh, some version of, you know, you're a wizard, you know, whatever that means, right? I mean, you know, uh, it's it's it, it is, is, but it, it, but there's something there, like there's gold to be mined in that particular um, that that particular moment. Um, and, and do you have that with Christian conversion? Yes, right. I was just because right. suddenly someone realizes. I mean, and again, it's it's like you, you know, you are a child of the king. You are not simply mm -hmm. the you. Right. You right. are not a. You are not. A, you are not an ape. Yeah. You are. Yeah. You know. You are. You are. You are majestic. You are. You hold dominion over this world, and right. so well. Well, this is exactly what you're getting at with the story. You know, the, you know this dismissal of uh, of the the materialist dismissal of story. And you were talking about that earlier. You know about Jordan Peterson, and Sam Harris, right? And and you know what I found continually interesting about um, you know the, the, there's a sort of particular sort of scientific story that is sort of has been ascendant for a long time, which is in essence a kind of strange story to tell because it tells human beings that they're nothing more than apes, which of course was precisely the anxiety of the the, the biblically minded people, you know, in at the end, you know, in the 19th century. Um, but but you 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 have sold that story very successfully. I mean, very very successfully. And even the evolutionary psychologists, you know, they 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 really they really sold that really well. And yet, and yet, there seems to have been a cost to that narrative, so that as soon as somebody like Jordan Peterson says, "Well, nah, maybe not," you know, it's like it's another man in a moment type type situation or a story in a moment that that catches fire. And and I, 
you know, Paul, I know you've been doing this sort of riffing on Peterson for a long time, and I would agree with that. I think he's sort of in another moment right now. Yep, I think yep. I think you're 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 savvy to that. You're you're sensing the pattern, um, yep. an ascendancy pattern there. Um, but what he what he told is essentially that you know, no, it actually means something. This Genesis thing, it, it actually means something. Um, and 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 the the reason and and now we have the confirmation that it means something because as soon as he started talking about Genesis, you know, everybody lining up to talk about the book of Genesis and crowded packed theaters, like totally ridiculous, you know. Um, then it, then it it's it's a it's a diagnosis of 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 a of a of an under or unacknowledged problem. And, you know, the sort of the existential problem that if all this stuff is true, if materialism is true, then what's the bloody point? Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a bad story. Yeah. Right. It's, it's yeah. a bad story. It's compelling for a while, you know, and it accelerates you. You can kind of feel superior to other people because you can sort of pretend like you're kind of almost like a new priesthood of people who you get it and some people don't get it. But then you you find out at the end, you know, that that really what you're going to spend your time doing is like hawking a... Um, you know, a meditation app. <laughs> well, it, it's kind of, you know, sometimes I listen to some of these new atheists or old mm. new atheists. Yeah, you know, old new atheists. They're yeah, kind yeah. of, they're kind of like the kids I remember at high school that figured out, gosh, we can cut classes. That's right. And so they spent their time at the, at the, at the gas station next to the school smoking cigarettes. It's like, yeah, yeah was that an upgrade? You know, <laughs> now you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 this, this is what your new freedom bought you. All right. Yeah. Um, and so, so again, like it's bad story. Yeah, it's bad story. It's, it's, so it's bad story. You're really you know? cool. You've learned to smoke now at the age right. of 15, and you're cutting right. classes and you're spending time. Maybe someday you'll work at that gas station. Yeah, right. How about that? Right. right. <laughs> yeah, that, no, no, no. Is, I like that. Is that as high as you can go? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you get it. You, you know, again, that's, but then that's a story of bad sacrifice. Yes. You know, and again, yes. to riff on, on Peterson stuff, you know, it's a, uh, it's a it's a story of 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 cheap sacrifice, you know, uh, as opposed to sort of the, the the more heroic call that that he seems that Peterson seems to be calling people perpetually to, like yeah. you need to be more than this, like you are not, you know, you're saying you are. So, um, and then well, just to finish up with Rowling's, yeah, yeah, yeah it's so interesting great, yeah. because then mm -hmm. we get to, you know, the witch trial of J.K. Rowling's. Megan yeah. Phelps Roper does this, Pat does this podcast, and yeah. it's interesting where. You know, Rowling's, you know, Harry Potter was, you know, the, the story and the moment. And so mm -hmm. many people found their identity through this. And yeah. and then yeah. a question is going to be 200 years from now, mm. you know, now we're getting back into Greeks and Achilles. And, you know, will, yeah. there, will I be remembered is the choice that Achilles gets to make in terms of his destiny. Um, right. 200 years from now, will anybody know Harry Potter mm. and... You know, because it's it's interesting because you don't have to go back too far. I was listening to the rest of history. They were talking about some really popular books in the 19th century that all the young British, you know, elites were. And I mean, that yeah. was that was their Harry Potter story. And now you mentioned it gets mentioned in a historical podcast, and everybody's like, only what? the real English history nerds will say, "Oh yeah, those were those were very popular books back then." And yeah. now they're sort of so. And that's the that's the realization that we we live in a world where there are spirits 
and and it's so funny because the the new atheists sort of you know loved telling the story of how small we are yeah but you very much get the sense that the whole reason for their worldview is in fact to sort of make sure that we are the only ape left on top mm. when in fact mm. if you once you begin to realize that no we are in the midst of spiritual um personal forces that are far beyond us that that can you know that can ruin our lives very quickly you know going beyond just sort of the medium people that can cancel you mm -hmm. um well this is a story we dare not tell because suddenly then we feel exposed and if we are if we are exposed where can we go for solace and comfort mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then the new atheists kind of want to say oh you should just you should just embrace your smallness. Oh, okay. Really? Are you sure that this story of no agents, no personal agency above we human beings mm -hmm. isn't itself a function of your own fears? Yeah. Because when you look at the when you look at the bigger stories and you realize for as massive and as wealthy and as powerful J.K. Rowling's became. Mm -hmm. You know, how quickly did a whole group of people, were they ready to burn her books? Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, I, I don't know why this popped in my head, but I'm going to hazard it. Maybe you can make sense out of it. But um, remember listening to an old Paul Kingsnorth um, uh, podcast. I believe it was on maybe Rebel Wisdom and one of those older ones. So it was a couple of years ago now. And um, he was talking about his um, unexpected, you know, turn to Christianity and um, he said he tried to be a Wiccan uh, for a period of time, and he ultimately found it unsatisfying. And he, and he sort of at, kind of jumps out of his story and he says, you know, if you're going to like convert to something, look for old people, like look for people like who are old and wise in the tradition. And, and of course, the irony of with 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 Wiccan is that it's it alleges sort of to be the sort of like the more ancient one, but it's not. It's completely fabricated. It's completely um, modern. And it's as um, fictitious as Harry Potter. That's it right. really that, is. That, that's <laughs> right. It's just just kind of with a better LARP, you know, or a yep. little bit more authentic LARP. And but 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 the reason why I'm bringing this up is like if we think of um, the roots of stories, right? And this is sort of getting us back to the underneath, right? You know, those stories that are most ultimately resonant and ultimately meaningful and ultimately enduring seem to tap into some deeper well that is much longer on the time horizon than whatever's hot right now right right you know so you know um you know and you can see this with music and you can see this with with netflix right i mean how much is just pumping out show after show after show after show and you might watch it be like oh it's kind of interesting cool and then it just kind of goes away and there are only really a few of them that really seem to rise to that that level where they kind of stick with you and my contention is that those that stick with you right number one, they work right so if we think of going back to this idea of story um, stories as a kind of technology, stories as a kind of compression engine, stories as an experience machine. Like they really work and they seem to satisfy, you know, all the kind of the layers and the levels up and down your sort of personal hierarchy or something like that. And, um, you know, so, you know, so, so much of it seems to just be sort of like time holding 
you know, background noise, um, Muzak, um, you know, as opposed to something that is um, substantial and real, right? And so we kind of keep going back to this question of, you know, the real. And, and so you've been talking about this, this idea of, you know, the really real and the real and, and, and going back and forth with this. And, and when you have an experience of the really real, you know, this is something that you were quoting Verveke, I think, just the other day. You know, he says, what well, you know, you have a, what is that, a sense of ultimacy, like yeah. you want to kind of keep going back to that thing. Um, but I think stories work that way, too. Yep. 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 They do. And and it's not just stories, but all I mean, why on earth do we still know who Plato is and why yeah. are his yeah. ideas yeah. still out there? You know, yeah. one of the things that I, I saw yeah. through Jordan was sort of seeing seeing this Darwinian aspect to uh, it's sort of a Darwinian test for knowledge of, um, you know, the Lindy effect, as uh, Talib <laughs> calls it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, where yeah. It's, if, if it's something, I mean, we can still say the name Dante and Chaucer and there are there are classics because for some reason they have endured and even in in the midst of all of this schlock that Netflix yeah. is just pouring out into it yeah and and then someone you know someone said well why was Harry Potter so great well she she had a sense she picked up the patterns of the greats and yeah. was able to and and even looking at you know I was reading this book on the medieval mind of C.S. Lewis and yeah. and it's like oh the great divorce of course that was Dante why 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 didn't I see it was Dante yeah. right. <laughs> I mean it's just so obvious right and and, but, and, when, and when you start sharpening your metaphors so to speak or building out those metaphors or you know um, uh, going into deeper and deeper practical le levels of uh, resolution you start to see that you know it's actually not even Dante that you're that you're sensing, right? And, and right. you know, that there's this, this, you know, and I never know if it's an underneath or an above. Anyway, um, <laughs> That's right. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't, yeah, it goes both ways. It goes both ways. But, um, you know, that, 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 you know, that, that iconic image of Dante alone lost in a dark wood, you know, that is as primeval, you know, or, or paradigmatic, or uh, it's, it's pure, right? Uh, because, you know, without even ever having been lost in the woods and alone, like, you know, exactly kind of what that is. And, yeah. and you'd also don't know how you got here and you also don't know how to get out. Right. And then that, that is a, an archetype that seems to exist in some kind of spiritual plane, you know, that, that, that materialists simply cannot account for. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's my frustration with, um, you know, the story. And so, um, so they'll even look at something like a Dante or like a C.S. Lewis, and they'll they'll they will merely see um, structure, yeah. and um, you know, and and they seem to be unwilling to think of. And this is why I want to go back to an experience machine, right? And so because because it kind of takes in both the sort of the, the flesh and and the mechanics of things. Of course, you can have flesh mechanics too, but but th that there seems this. If a machine is a kind of physical system uh, applying forces, you know, controlling movements in order to bring about some kind of an action, right? 
um, then, you know, so we can think about that mechanically, either do uh, with like wood and steel and, and, and all these things, or with bone and flesh and, and muscle and all this sort of, yet there seems to be this other engine that is happening at the same time that is moving spirit. Yeah. And I don't really quite know how to talk about that other than to just start saying exactly kind of what we're saying now. I, I think that's part of what our moment is mm-hmm. that we've been bathing in this flat land for so long mm-hmm. that we have these intuitions of the other dimension and we see, you know, what other language look at the, we, we very quickly we very quickly look at look at the language that we use. Well, that was a concept. It was a moment. It mm-hmm. was a fad. It was mm-hmm. a fashion. Mm-hmm. All of those words are too weak to talk about the forces that we see moving this world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. And the agency, I mean, we see now someone might say, Oh, we're just projecting agency into it. Uh, I, I don't find that convincing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. find that convincing. And part of the problem is that, okay, let's say I'm wrong. So what? Mm-hmm. That's part of the problem of nihilism is mm-hmm. that once it, once it gets that barren, then you're sort you sort of have i mean the the video that i'd like to do today is the <laughs> i never get to do all the videos i want yeah, to, but I the know. um the the atheists have a duty crisis and lewis pointed this out okay what do you mean by that this is interesting to me a duty crisis a duty crisis well if so i i watched alex um o'connor you know all these apes doth protest too much with respect to I and Hersey Ali. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, they all consider mm-hmm. themselves apes and they're all argue. They're all, they're all complaining. And it's like, do apes complain? Yeah. yeah I don't right. think so. What does it matter um, to an ape? It doesn't matter to an ape, yeah. but they're all complaining about her. And, and part of the issue, and actually Sarah Hyder pointed this out in that trigonometry video. Yeah, that, it's excellent. That there's, there's this, there's a, there's a thing called duty Mm. and Mm. Lewis points this out with the atheists of his time, Mm -hmm. you know, that he says all, all of these people are just randomness and chaos and nihilism until humanity must be preserved. Yeah. You know, Israelis or Gazans must be rescued. That's right. And and Lewis is like, why You, you don't, you, you, you cut that out when you cut out the story. There's Mm -hmm. no, you know, fat, Thor might as well stay <laughs> drinking beer and eating nachos. Right, playing video games. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. and and we have basically seen the product of the story of nihilism playing out in people's lives. And what is that so- line? Remember that Irish woman you had interviewed or you were listening to, like lonely lives, people alone in their bedrooms. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. it's a great line. I just yeah, yeah. every now and again it pops into my head, but it's like yep. that—that's what we have wrought. That's right. Right. That—that's what we have wielded. We—we've—we've—we've we've, we've created that world. Stories have power 
stories move us. Stories mm-hmm. are spiritual in that sense, in that they, you know, again, I always point to, well, what is spirit? Well, just look at, use Jesus' definition from John 3. Mm-hmm. Spirit is the thing that moves the trees. When you look out the window and you see the trees moving, you might think, oh, those do those trees have muscles and mm-hmm. brains? And No, they don't have any of that. The spirit is moving the mm-hmm. trees. Spirit and wind are the same thing. And and the stories that have been told, the nihilistic stories have given us fat four. That's what yeah. they've given us. Yeah, right, right, good. Yes, that's right. And, and that's that right. has multiplied in the culture. Now everybody wakes up and they're like, I, fat four, this isn't good. Right. How do you right. know this isn't right. good? Isn't that right. the tell us of your story? Oh, you don't have tell us either. Right, so. oh yeah. <laughs> right, well, that, right, because that, because fat Thor is a lie. Like we just know this, yes. right? It's it, it's 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 like offensive to the spirit, you know. Um, it's so mean, it, you know. It's so mean in that in that in stingy, um, you know, to do that uh, to 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 your audience, right? And so it's it's mean to do that to Thor, right? I mean, like that's the it. it um, and and I would say it's not just me; it's a lie, right? And and I and I worry that the crisis of story that we do seem to be living through is the inability to call a lie a lie, or the unwillingness to call a lie a lie in story, right? And and so I look at somebody like um, uh, what's the guy's name who who was writing Game of Thrones, um, Martin George George Martin, you know, and and I can't help but wonder if part of the reason why he can't finish the story is that he doesn't either he doesn't know how to tell the story um, without lying, um, or the lie is preventing him from finishing the story. Yeah, yeah, right. It's like there's this sort of this strange wish to deny satisfaction. Yeah. You, you and it's like, man, that's. That's some really messed up stuff. That's that's just that's um it, it makes it kind of makes me sad. Yeah. You know, it's like not being able to to end the Iliad. It's like not being able to end Macbeth. Like tell the truth, you know, uh, you know, because the story demands it. And and if you don't have the guts to do it, you know, talk about men without chests. You know, um, it's just you don't want to. I don't know. I I I I, I believe. Uh, or maybe I believe that we are living in the story that we collectively are telling ourselves. Yes. And, you know, uh, looking at the numbers, you know, as someone who works in the trenches and schools and whatnot, you know, I know your wife's a teacher too. Like, you know, looking, looking at the kind of the, the progress report right now, Paul, it's not looking very good. Schools are in crisis. Yeah. They yeah. really are. Yeah. And, 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 and what I find interesting now, I'm fortunate. I, I I live and work at a great place, and you know we're 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 doing pretty well. Um, your, your school still has your classes, right? Well, right and and, <laughs> and, right, and, my, and my, them, and my and my kids are showing up, yes. right? Right, and, you know, and so, but but nobody's talking about that. You know, it is it is not, um, you know, and and you know, some astronomical, some like half of the teachers want to quit. You know, and 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 I don't quite. You know, and I wonder what, what will come of this um, because I don't see the necessary moral courage and strength necessary to change the story. Yeah. Right. I mean, if we keep kind of going back, like, yeah. you know, we are, we have decided to tell a certain story to ourselves and to our kids through our schools, let's say. 
You could say the same thing about churches, and we can yep. get into that too. Yep. It's the same. It's the same thing, yep. right? Yep. Um, so we're telling the story, and we seem really wedded to the narrative, and and yet um, we seem to we 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 pretend that we like evidence based X and evidence based Y. Well, what about evidence based results? You know, of of our school system. Um, what about the evidence based results of our church system? I and mean, what about the evidence based results of our military system? You know, our university system. Like, you know, again, don't want to be, you know, Debbie Downer here, but it, it seems to me that the story is sick and sick stories make sick people. Yep. Um, and so, so, so that I quip, you know, I, I, I text you from time to time and say, yeah, well, that's because we need poetry, you know, and, and I guess what I mean by that is, you know, you, you said something interesting the other day, you know, poetry is consummation. And you kind of coyly reminded your audience, well, the consummation, the act of consummating a marriage is when the man and the woman come together and form, you know, the union, the solidify, bring about uh, a spiritual reality, right? right? It's a physical manifestation of a physical reality. And, they, and, that, they have... and that act is, as the Catholics continue to remind us, that yeah. act is intended to produce new <laughs> life. That's right. I mean, literally, right? I mean, that's yes. oh, physically. Uh, will you allow me to say literally in this in this capacity? Right? No, you should but, say physically because physically, it's, it's a right. physical. That's right. It's a it's a physical act, and it's a physical yeah. being that the physical act is designed to um, bring into this world. And and Paul, did you ever, in your wildest dreams growing up, think that we would ever get to the moment where people would stop having sex? No. Right. No. I mean, that's wild. That is absolutely bonkers wild. Yeah, I, I mean, this is where we are. Yeah, because I mean, you, you look at it, you know, people love to compare us to apes and human beings are, you know, we, we, we have we're strange apes in that we, you know, sexually speaking, we're very strange apes. Yeah. And we, yeah. you know, part of the reason we're such a successful species mm -hmm. is that human beings really like to have sex. That's right. That's and right. we've we've gotten to the point where you know, fat Thor can't get it up. Yeah, right. No, I, but, I, but I think that, but, you know, I think that's a tell. I, I think that's a real tell. for an episode. Yeah, yeah. Fat <laughs> Thor can't get it up. Right here, ladies and gentlemen, here at the Underneath featuring Pastor Paul Vanderclay. And, you know, um, but, 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 so then the question then is, okay, that's a story. Fat Thor can't get it up. That's a story. And it appears to be the correct one right now. So what is that telling us? You know, uh, maybe Fat Thor not being able to get it up is an indication that a story is working. Yeah. Right. You know, you can be as gods. You can be as gods. That's a story. Right. And 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 that story has repeated again and again and again through history. This, right. And then we can get into the decadence now. Oh, just, yeah, 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 that's right, that's right, that's right. That that Douthat has put on that yeah. um, societies so, rise and fall, and and they don't just they're not just the big rise and fall. There's lots of little rises and fall. I mean, that mm -hmm. continues to happen. Sure. Well, I remember, you know, I remember as a kid in 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 high school, um, you know, I took an old Old Testament class, right, and it was pretty bad actually. Um, 
uh, it was very modernist and it was the, all of that sort of stuff. And, but I remember at a certain point, you know, like, you know, Israel goes up and Israel goes down and Israel goes up and Israel goes down. Right. And I remember at one point being like, can you guys just like get it together here? Like, duh, you know, it's, it's, it's so, it's so obvious. I uh, know obviously things are more complicated than that, but, but that was, you know, the pattern, you know, cried out, you know, to us, to you in that moment. And so um, is there a way to arrest decadence? Maybe, you know, is there a way, um, you know, Jordan's trying to sell uh, a new story, yeah. you know, yet, I don't know, man. Well, I know. And, and I think going back to the spiritual, <laughs> new life, um, you know, the, the story of, of, of Jesus' birth, we're coming into that season. That's right comes at a point when i mean we're in advent now yeah and there's waiting for i mean this is this is one of the you know glenn scrivener made this critique of jordan's work and i think it's a very fair critique mm -hmm. although there are moments when jordan gets beyond it i think mm -hmm. but there are and it's all up to us and on some hand yeah there, there's a lot that's up to us it's up to us to do things there's absolutely no question about that but it's when it's when god moves it's when god sends a savior and god mm. you know and there's always you know even elijah after carmel you know this great moment of victory over the prophets of baal it's at yeah. that moment that he despairs right and god says hey you know i've got seven thousand people who haven't bent the knee to baal and paul mm. in second corinthians you know speaks of his despair mm -hmm. and god says i have many people in this city mm -hmm. and in in some ways we don't have i also enjoyed in the williamson peterson video where peterson was talking about there's dopamine there's there's sort Dopa, of dopaminergic dopaminergic, yeah, dopaminergic mm -hmm. which is which is the meaningful grasp but then there's consummatory as well. And both of those realities are there. And if it weren't for the decadence and the decline and the, the fact that, um, you know, the, the orgs seem to be, you know, the orgs seem to be wiping the dwarves out that this, this silly little group of dwarves is going to do the unthinkable of traveling to the misty mountain and mm -hmm. taking out smog. So right. it, we're not going to enjoy the adventure without the decline. And so every, right. every moment of, of impending doom is a opportunity for God to do a new thing amongst us and for us to participate in this grand story. Now, I actually think a lot about the fact that how is it actually going to go in the age to come? Because mm -hmm. it can't just be consummation all the time. What, mm -hmm. what will God have for us in the age to come? And I, I think about that and I ponder about it, but I don't mm -hmm. fret about it because of course, what do I know? Yeah, <laughs> right, right, you know right. God who can write a story like the one that we're enjoying in the Christian world now will certainly give us um something that will be even more satisfying than the than the story that we are participating in at the moment yeah i has not seen you has not heard right i mean this is the this is the vision of of uh, sur that surpasseth understanding i mean that's that's the that's the 
that's the goodies, right? And but but that's complex, right? You know that that that's a complex, um, ambiguous feeling thing. And and I, and I wonder, um, maybe this is my last question to you, because um, I know you've got shows to record and I've got homeworks to grade. But I, you know, there seems to be um, a suppressed appetite for complexity. Now, I know you talk a lot about it because John talks a lot about combinatorial explosiveness and all that sort of stuff. And so I'm very sympathetic to people looking for ways to simplify, you know, but I wonder if that move to simplify isn't sort of short circuiting um, the better story. You know, I see this in, in church um, circles quite a bit. You know, yeah. there's, so there's the there's the retreat to legalism. There's a retreat to um, formalism. You know, there's a retreat to clear lines. You know, and yeah. and these kinds of things. And and I I I can't help but feel like even though you know me, I'm I'm pretty serious about those things. Uh, you know, I can't help but think that that's a misplaced. That's not a desire for good. It's sort of a it's a sort of a fear move as opposed to a courage move. Yeah, it, it, and there's an aspect of idolatrous instrumentality in mm. it as well. Mm. If we can mm. if we can reduce the complexity of this moment into a binary choice, then and and then you get all sorts of cheats in that. There's self righteousness. Yeah. There's self sufficiency. Yeah. There's all sorts of idolatrous moves in there. Yet at the same time, there you know, choose ye this day who you will serve, you know, right. um, and so you, right. you can't completely eliminate it, but you have to at the same time keep an eye on it and realize there there are binary choices, but the, the binary and the analog live in the same world and they never get rid of each other. That's interesting. And, that's interesting. And, and so that's that's out there, hmm. and. Yeah, well, there was another thought I had, which which has escaped me too. Um, have you, um, if you, if you think of it, let me know. But I just uh, the last little thing here, maybe. Um, have you been doing any kind of thinking about um, the role that the digital plays in our crisis of story? Digital no? meaning. Yeah, like that's why that's okay. Yeah. Um, Well, I guess I first mean it actually, you know, like digital technology versus, you know, analog technology, you know, something like that, you know, but that, that as we move further and further into the black mirror, you know, we uh, are, are flattening even our story. Um, you know, you know, I think of the way that a digital signal is captured versus the way that an analog signal is captured. Mm, and, mm. you know, the digital is just you know, chopped up bits of zeros and ones. And the analog is just sort of like a, a piece of tape on a dusty table. It just picks up everything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, the texture. I remember having a, a conversation yeah, yeah. with, with, um, not Kale, with, uh, burn about texture. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I, I I think about I think about you know the the proliferation of stories and how on one hand or how what that might finally mean is oh I I remember what I was yeah. what I was thinking about I was thinking about like stories of old 
um, you were talking about. And I think this, uh, like stories of old, a video that I did a little bit comparing that with C.S. Lewis. Yeah, I should rewatch his video on there, basically talking about the decay of story and where he yeah. noted that there were certain elements in stories that were working like a lightsaber sort of held the Star Wars story together yeah, and yeah. the ring sort yeah. of holds yeah. Tolkien together. Right. And there are, it, it, again, it's a, it's an interesting we are we are monofocal creatures. We can't, you know, so because we're monofocal, binaries are always always emerge because we can manage binaries. Yes, no, yes, no, back forth. When you get to threes, we 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 get a little overloaded, we get a little flooded. So I think um which is which is I just I, you know again, I think that's kind of the Christian uh genius. Right. right is that right. is that the threes keep us in a kind of generative tension whereas binaries force d d a b right. a b right. a b and 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 the, and after the mystery three, of the three after three it sort of collapses back into a right. binary the one right. and the many right, right. <laughs> so that's three right is no that's right the place that holds the tension yeah yeah, yeah. And, and and so i think as as we continue to create for ourselves new problems, um, new, this has been the amazing thing about history is that new problems, you know, we create problems for ourselves and um, stories get resolved, not mm -hmm. always happily, almost mm -hmm. always with tremendous loss. Mm -hmm. We live in the age of decay. None of us get out of this life alive. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. That's the way it goes. But um, there is a, there is an optimism that I have that, you know, when I, so again, my talk, my conversation, Peter, Peter Bogosian, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, how can you be so optimistic? I'm a yeah. Christian. Right. Look at our story. Right. Um, look at, look at how it ends. It ends in consummation and, um, and, and then people, people want then to debate about all of the little particulars, but you I, I can say I don't know those particulars, but yeah. I know I know the judge of heaven and earth uh -huh. and I trust him. Yeah. And and so that's where my that's where my optimism comes. Right. Because the the the, the I think part of the Christian optimism is is a is an unwillingness to pretend that there are solutions in time. Right. You know, and so that the 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 we know that uh, it's always trade-offs, um, and and that 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 people who don't believe in uh, don't don't have a metaphysics or or or, or beyond, let's say, um, you know, simply can't abide the, the fact that things can't get fixed right here now. You know, you know, and um, and I think that that's that's exhausting. <laughs> you know, like metaphysically exhausting. Um, um, but it still leaves you with the nihilism problem, which is like in the end, why does it even matter? Right. Um, so, 
All right. Well, look, Paul, I, I have to be honest with you. I'm not really sure how to land a plane because um, I don't want to land the plane. I want to keep talking. Oh, we um, will keep talking. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll have more conversations, Cal. Oh, indeed, indeed. I just I want to uh, thank you, uh, you know, for, for coming on here and, and getting me, pushing me a little bit more on this sort of this notion of story. You know, it's it's a funny thing because I, I spend my career teaching story and it's just so funny. Like I, I can feel like such a, a master of the of the craft of teaching story and yet you know you you poke me once you say well what's a story and you're like hey you know, <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't really know but yeah i do know right and so um I, I appreciate you helping me to um find a better way to articulate it and 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 i do think that this question of story is not going to go away um and and hopefully we will you know learn maybe to submit a little bit more to you know the demands of true story so yeah. um all right well thank you paul i appreciate it my pleasure, Cal. All right. All right. Take care, brother. All right. Bye-bye.